Welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers, giving you the motivation and inspiration you need to make the most of your later years. Whether you're still in the planning stages or you're several years in, we'll share stories from boomers who refuse to act their age and continue to live a life inspired. Let them show you how being old can be new if you know what to do with your host, Terry Lorbeer. Hello and welcome to Kick-Ass Boomers. My guest today is Doug Steppleton. Doug has been working in the entertainment business since 1987. Born and raised in Glasgow, Montana, he came to Hollywood at age 19 and has lived and worked in Southern California ever since. His expertise is music publishing for film and television. His company owns a catalog of songs that are licensed to film and television studios and to independent productions. Welcome, Doug. How are you today? Hey, welcome. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I'm so happy to have you. And you were on way back in episode 86, where we talked about your documentary, The Mother of Normandy, the story of Simone Renald. Um, and today you're here to talk about your book. It's a wonderful time. So I yeah. will let you tell us the premise of the story and how it all came about. Okay, good. Yeah, I should have said thanks for having me back on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah we, I was on earlier in the year, and thank you for that to talk about Mother Normandy. Yeah, but this book is, um, yeah, so this book, I guess the origins of this book started back, um, you know, as you said, I'm from Montana. I came out to Hollywood when I was about 19 years old in 1984, and I went to a music school for about a year. It was a year of music school. After that, I got a job at the Beverly Hills Hotel as a valet parker, and I worked there for about three years, and during the, I think my yeah, within maybe six months, uh, I ended up get, getting a job driving this gentleman named David Tebbett, who was a uh, big wig over at NBC. He He's the guy actually that brought Johnny Carson to Hollywood and mm. uh, on The Tonight Show. And at the time he was running the, you know, Carson Productions. And so he lived at the hotel and he did, uh, one of the valets was a, one of his drivers and he ended up going to college. So my boss, John, said, hey, Mr. Tebbett needs a new driver. I thought you'd be good. So I ended up getting the job driving Mr. Tebbett. And so during that time, um, I lived in Hollywood and I'd go, I'd drop him off in Toluca Lake and then I'd pick him up in the afternoon. And I used to drive by this, uh, this, these railings off to the side of the, of the, of the road. I didn't really know what they were. So after driving by them many, many weeks, I just pulled over on the road and walked over to them and, and realized they were, you know, there were steps going down into the ground. So I walked down the steps and realized it was a, a walkway that went underneath the 101 freeway. And um, I think I remember there was all, all, I think there was a bum in there, like said, Hey, get out of here. <laughs> and uh, it was his little house or something. But anyway, that, so then I realized what that was and that was kind of interesting. So then fast forward about maybe, I don't know, 19, that was in 80, 85. Uh, fast forward to like uh, 1993. I remember driving down the, it's the 101 free was freeway was the freeway that it was only about a, about a mile or a mile and a half outside of Hollywood going into the valley. So I used to drive by that all the time when I was coming from the valley back into Hollywood. And I remember seeing the railings all the time. And when I would see it, I'd say, oh yeah, that's, those are the railings for the underground walkway. And just one day my imagination got the best of me. And I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if somebody was I didn't know any idea or story, but I just said somebody's getting chased out of Hollywood on a stormy, rainy night, and they have something that somebody wants, and they get in a car wreck, they hit a pole, telephone pole, they grab whatever they have, and they run down those steps, and they start running underneath the freeway, and as they do that, the telephone poles come down on the railings and lightning strikes, and they go through a time warp, and they come up on the other side, the way they were running, uh, same exact area, other side in 1940s Hollywood, and mm -hmm. so that was the idea that I had, and. Um, I got back to my office and I just, I thought, oh, I'm going to write that down so I didn't forget it. So I just grabbed some blank pieces of paper out of the printer and I started writing down, you know, as much as I could. And then I eventually just put it into a Word document and then I started working on it and adding, you know, there wasn't much, there was a very much of a skeleton and started adding, adding some flesh to the bones, came up with the idea of why they were getting chased. And uh, I ended up deciding to put it in 1946. Uh, and we can talk about why I picked that time, but that's kind of the origins of how the the uh, the it ended up becoming a book. But then I end up you know putting into a movie script uh, uh, about uh, maybe five or six years or ten years after that. I can't remember the date in two thousand five. So that's kind of the origins of how it eventually became a novel. Right, and when he went back in time, 
lo and behold, he came involved in the movie set of It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy yeah. Stewart and Donna Reed and, of course, the famous director Frank Capra. So, yes, what better story? That's fantastic. I love that you linked to that. Yeah, well, It's a Wonderful Life is, is definitely, you know, if not one of my favorite films, if not my favorite film. So when I was trying to think of... Uh, you know, what year I thought, well, it would be the forties. And then I kind of narrowed it down. I thought, well, did you know, the research and they, they made that movie in uh, the summer. Uh, I think it was, uh, you know, like April to July of 1946. And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool? You know, that would be the time that he goes back and then have him eventually meet, uh, you know, through circumstances, get to work on the film and be on the set. And then the, we, as the reader, get to see what Frank Capra and Jimmy Stewart and what happened there. Um, some of it's very real, but we also took some creative license, you know, to make things happen. <laughs> but, um, and, uh, and then also 1946, I thought was an interesting year. That was the main reason because of It's Wonderful Life. But, you know, 1946 was uh, right at the, the year before World War II ended. So, a lot of the guys in the service for the Navy and the army, and they were coming back from Europe and the Pacific. And, um, and I thought that would be an interesting time also in Hollywood with all the servicemen coming back. And, um, and Jimmy Stewart had only been back about, gosh, I think he got back in, in, uh, in, uh, October of 45. So he'd only been back in the States about maybe seven, eight, nine months. And then he's making this movie. So I just thought that'd be an interesting time. And we kind of put some of his world war two experiences in the book, um, so yeah, so that's kind of how that all happened and why I picked that year. And that's interesting because, you know, I was a young person watching that movie. I didn't realize that he made that so close right after returning from the war, which is amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I just didn't realize that the movie was that connected to the war. And of course, you know, they have his brother being a war here yeah. and all that, but I didn't realize, I thought it was like five or six years later, but it really was a year later, which is absolutely amazing. Yeah. In real life. Yeah. Those guys were just back. So, some oh. of them were still overseas, you know, they had, uh, in, especially in, uh, well, and your Europe and the Pacific occupation duty to keep their eye on the Germans and, uh, right. and also the Japanese, cause things are still kind of fresh, you know? And Jimmy yeah. Stewart was in the war and looking back a lot of the old Hollywood men were in the war. They were actually fighting in the war. And, yeah. you know, I'm seeing that pop up on LinkedIn or Facebook a lot now where, you know, someone's in their 90s and they'll say, yeah, he was in the Air Force or here or there. And I didn't realize how many of our old favorites really were in the war. Yeah, a lot of those guys were. Yeah. Yeah. Army, Navy, Marines, yep. Air Force. Yeah. Clark yep. Gable. And um, yeah, just a lot of them. Yeah. It, yeah. Not, not like today. We have a few here and there. But wow, yeah. back then. They really stepped up for the country, you know. That's back when when men were really men. And even yes. that goes for Hollywood as well. They were really yeah. men. And yeah, and they and you can see it in the way they act. They bring all that with them to the role. Yeah. That, that that's why they call they're called the greatest generation. Yeah. They, Absolutely. They were great. And they were, yeah. they absolutely were. Yeah. So this is the perfect time for us to be reading or listening to the book because it's the Christmas season and it's the 75th anniversary of It's a Wonderful Life. So, yeah. but I believe when the movie came out, it wasn't a big hit. What do you know about that? Yeah, when it came out, um, the premiere for the movie was in uh, December of 46 at the Globe Theater in New York. And I don't know the exact date. I think it was around maybe the 20th or something. Mm -hmm. And um, so so we're still in the 75th, even though the 75th started a, a year ago around this time. You right. know, this whole all through this year of 2022 is still the 75th. Mm -hmm. uh, it actually came out to the, the public in January of 47. But yeah, when it came out... Um, the reviews it got mixed reviews more better more good reviews than bad reviews but it was some mixed reviews um and um excuse me and um uh but the, the problem when it came out uh, the weekend that it came out there was some really severe thunderstorm uh not thunderstorms just severe winter storm on the east coast uh, so that first weekend and and the and the days that followed, it was so bad. A lot of people just stayed home to stay warm, and they nobody mm. went out. Not many went out to the movies, so right. it didn't make didn't do really well at the box office. And so it actually lost money. And so combination of the mixed reviews and uh, not making much at the box office after about a month or so, you know, it uh, it it got put back on the shelves at RKO and. 
and then just uh you know nobody was really talking about it for a while so so that's kind of the yeah the beginnings of it were were were, were not good but you know it did get uh did get nominated for like five academy awards so it wasn't like a stinker or anything it did get uh right. and it was also nominated for best picture so um it, it, it uh, you know i think most people liked it but um maybe it was um maybe a little too dark or something because of uh, dealing with uh you know, suicide and stuff like that. Cause George is going to commit suicide. Cause you know, uncle Billy loses all that $8,000, <laughs> right. a lot of money back in, in the thirties or whenever that was supposed to take place. So anyway, but you know um, uh, yeah, so it, it got, kind of got shelved and, 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 and everybody kind of mm -hmm. forgot about it. Um, and then, but then there was uh, something that happened uh, in 1974 that we can talk about, which, which kind of brought a whole new generation of, of, of fans to, to the movie, but that's, that was its beginnings, mixed reviews, not good at the box office. I think it lost $500,000. Some of that was Capra, Frank Capra's personal money. Right. And, um, wow. Yeah. And he, um, he, he had an uh, interesting thing is, you know, when he started Liberty Films, which is the, the company that he started with Paramount, this was his first film because he was in the war also. This was his first film. And um, he, uh, he had a couple other partners, uh, four, three other partners, uh, George, um uh gosh what's I, sh I should know his name he did uh you know um uh the diary van frank and giant uh george stevens there he is yeah and and that he was the partner in the company and also uh william wyler and uh so when william wyler did best the best years of our lives which is another world war ii film with uh dana andrews and frederick march about guys coming back from the war and so frank capra had it's wonderful life for the oscars that year and and um the the best days of our life year the years best years of our lives or whatever it was called with William Wyler was nominated for an Academy Award and they were both business partners in Liberty Films and William Wyler's film won Best Picture what got the Academy Award that year wow and, uh, and I kind didn't. of remember that as being kind of a dark film wasn't it yeah it was called the best years of our lives it was Frederick March Dana uh, Andrews I think was the other guy and then the other guy was a real veteran he had a hook hand. And he wasn't even an actor, but he played it wow. and he did an amazing job. And it was all about these guys trying to acclimate back into into the society after coming back from the war. Right. I remember and, that. And uh, yep. it, it was it's an amazing film. It's really an amazing film. If no one's ever seen it, I highly recommend it. You can actually watch it on YouTube for free. Now. Oh. I think it's called The Best Years of Our Lives. Well, worth. And, and you know what? It pertains to guys coming back from Afghanistan or any of our current wars. It's the same exact thing. Sure. And we don't yeah. like not being um, military. Most of us regular civilians don't realize what a huge adjustment it is when you're coming back from war. We don't. I mean, I'm kind of no. getting my head wrapped around that now, but I'm 72 years old with all my life experience. It's yeah. easier for me now. But when I was younger, I'm like, yeah, so what's the big deal? Yeah, we don't you think know? about that stuff. Yeah, but, no. well, you know, war is war whether it's uh, from 100, 200 years ago to, right. uh, you know, the last century, Vietnam, Korea, World War II, and you, like you said, Afghanistan, Iraq, yeah, these guys are dealing with the same uh, same sounds, guns, explosions, yep. uh, blood, uh, guys losing their legs, death. And so that's got to that, that, that's got to have an effect on anybody. So to come back to normal peacetime life. I've heard, I've seen guys that, that, you know, were uh, guys from the Afghan war, you know, they, one guy was talking about how it, it's been really tough for him to uh, acclimate back into just, you know, civilian life. And he said where he would be, I think he said he was like at home Depot, you know, just getting some shopping and some big pallet hit the, hit the floor. And he, he reacted to it like a bomb, you know, cause that's what they were used to Absolutely. for yeah. years, all the tours they've done. So we don't know that uh, yeah. as civilians, unless we study it and research or met people, but yeah, it's, it's a tough process for them. It is tough. Now, the other thing about It's a Wonderful Life um, and, and your book, um, It's a Wonderful Time, you yeah. interjected a lot of spirituality into some of the scenes in the book. What mm -hmm. were you trying to do with that? Well, in the, in the original script, as I told you, that I that it was my original idea, but I co-wrote it with my friend George Saunders, and, and we did it. It turned out really well. We didn't have any, any of that aspect in the script. It was more of about a, just a fun you know, kind of back to the future time travel romp, but instead of going to the fifties, they go to the forties. And, um, and so there was not really any spirituality or anything like that. Um, in the book version, uh, when I brought Reinhardt on board, um, we talked about that and we actually both are Christians in real life, but we didn't really, it, I, we didn't really want to 
it wasn't on our hearts to write a Christian book. It wasn't that. But we thought since the original movie, um, It's a Wonderful Life, did have some spiritual aspects, especially, you know, the start of the movie, it's up in heaven, right? And right. and and the uh, couple angels come together and somebody's praying for this guy, George Bailey, we need to help him. And they get this incompetent angel, Clarence, you know, who needs to earn his wings. And so it starts off already from a spiritual standpoint, not knocking anybody over the head. And then also Jimmy Stewart, his character, George Bailey is, uh, you know, suicidal. Remember that amazing scene where he's at the bar, Martini's bar, and he's praying oh. he's saying dear father in heaven please help me i don't know what to do I'm at the end of my wits because the money had been lost and 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 so there's some aspects of that so we thought you know let's let's bring some of that in with the same thing not hitting anybody over the head but we wanted to portray uh, god in a positive way mm-hmm. where hollywood usually portrays god in a negative way not all the time but uh, they, they definitely have an agenda uh, against uh, god and christians and judeo-christian values so we wanted to do a little of that um because we felt a lot of people um of faith would would connect with it and then even people that aren't really of faith or agnostics could still enjoy it because they weren't getting hit hit over the head but so that's kind of why we brought that in yeah and you know what it's wonderful life i think is the number one inspirational movie of all time so yes the uh, uh, AFI American Film Institute has it uh, as the number one film of, oh. inspirational film of all time, and I think it's number on AFI number eleven of best films of all time, uh, which is pretty good when you think about especially the- for one that was only in the theaters for about a month. Amazing. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you tied your book to uh, to that film. What lessons did Evan learn? Evan's the main character in your book. What lessons did he learn in his time travels? spiritual lessons like did he learn anything well with evan when when reinhardt and i decided to bring some of those aspects in to the characters uh evan you know evan's just basically a movie geek you know he loves old <laughs> movie history and he's a film trailer editor so he's got that kind of down so and he loves to you know drive the old car and you notice he likes the old clothes so he he's very comfortable when he goes back to the 40s at first he thinks it's a dream or that he's dead but then he realizes no, I'm really here. And he, he realizes what happened. So, um, so with Evan, we didn't, we put him that he was, um, that he was like a believer in God, but kind of like, uh, not an agnostic, but you know, he has a, um, a connection that God's real. he doesn't, you know, he knows he's smart enough to know that, you know, buildings don't build themselves. They need a builder and paintings don't paint themselves. They need a painter. So he knows there's some kind of intelligent design. Mm-hmm. So, but that's about any, any, there are times through the book where he prays. He's th- he's like, thank you, God, for letting me live. Thank you for getting me this money. Just things that, you know, he's, so he is thanks of God in a positive way. So, uh, so on his journey through the books, you know, we might dig into it a little deeper there, but Coop, who is the other time traveler, uh, he's a different guy, a different from a different time. Evan comes from 2021, goes back to 46, and Coop comes from 1899 and goes into the future to 1944, two years before Evans there. So he's kind of already acclimated, you know, right. being there, and he loves the technology because he's coming, you know, a, a <laughs> Nikola Tesla's assistant. They're dealing with pretty primitive, primitive stuff back in the um, primitive technology back in the late 18 uh, in, in the late 1890s. So. Uh, but his background, he's, uh, I believe, um, we have him coming, uh, from Harlem. I mean, his, you know, he was born in 1870. So his parents were slaves in the South and they end up moving, uh, after slavery's done, they end up moving up to the North into, into New York. And he's kind of, he ends up being kind of a genius and, and, uh, going to the library, reading books, speaking a couple of different languages, but he is brought up like with a bat in the Baptist kind of, uh, you know, in Christianity, Baptist uh, so he has a more of a connection to God and his faith is a lot deeper and stronger than Evans. Uh, and again, we didn't go over the top with that, but we kind of, you know, it was the first book. So we wanted to establish some of the foundation of that, even though it's not a Christian series, right. we, we wanted to keep some of those elements in there and we'll, we'll discover those more as we go. We'll see what happens. Yeah. There you go. That's really interesting. Yeah. So you, you and Reinhard Denka, I think I said his name correctly, right? Yeah, his actually name is, is spelled D-E-N-K, and it's, it's, but it's actually ranked with Tank, so Danka. 
Danka. Like, you oh, know, okay. remember, the, remember the coffee Sanka? So it's right. just put a D in front of it. Danka is how Danka. you pronounce it. Yeah. Okay, I had a tough so, time with it too. Yeah. Reinhard so he Danka. was your co, you co-wrote with him. So tell us a little bit about the process of writing the book and then doing the audio version. How long did that take? And uh, yeah, give us a little background on that. Sure. When I, I met my, uh, Reinhardt about three or four years ago through a mutual friend named Michael Cummings. And he, he thought, he said, Hey, I want to introduce you to my friend Reinhardt because you guys, I think we'll have a lot in common. So we, we both uh, were world war II history buffs and also Hollywood history buffs and Reinhardt. Um, uh, so we got together for coffee and I think Reinhardt uh, had, Michael had given him my, my original script that the book was written from. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we met, he goes, Doug, I read your script. He goes, man, it was so good. And so, <laughs> so that's when we first met before I was even going to have him write with me, he liked it. And then I said, well, send me a couple of your scripts. So he sent me two of his scripts and I read his scripts and I'm thinking, wow, this guy is, he's, he's an excellent writer. He was so good and descriptive and storytelling and character. So that's how we first met. And then when I started the process, uh, with George and writing the first draft, you know, we weren't getting an exact tone that I wanted. So decided to, um, uh, you know, move on to somebody else and uh, still give George acknowledgements in the book because he's great. And, and we're probably actually going to work with George a little on the second book too. But anyway, so I had to figure out who I wanted because I'm the writing process, you know, it's really not my passion to be an author. I'm just doing it out of necessity because I need to get these done. Right. And, um, and so, and, and with, with George, he was doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the first draft um, and, and same with Reinhardt, but I'm not just twiddling my thumbs. I'm involved in the whole process and and giving suggestions giving i'm pretty good with dialogue and and some of the story so with reinhardt i said hey I, um i got this first draft done i said um what do you think about you know coming on with me and being a, a, a co-writer and uh, i said also i'd like to make you a partner in the whole series and so he loved that idea so we got together and so the process that we we came up with is <laughs> excuse me i'm just getting a quick drink is i said listen you know you're a great writer why don't you um you do the majority of the, the the writing at the start. We'll go we'll go from the first draft from the script, the first draft from the script. And uh George had done a lot of great stuff on there, but it needed to be better. And and so uh Reinhardt would write about maybe 10 to 15 pages a day. And then he would send them to me. And then I would go through them, you know, in a Word doc, and then I would go through and make my changes. Yeah, I like this, let's change that. Let's do that. And I'd send it back to Reinhardt. He'd make the changes. Then he'd send it back to me. And I usually like, okay, good. Those, those are done. <laughs> and then he would give me the next. So we did that process. And, uh, there was the month of, uh, the month of April of that year kind of was a wash because he got bronchitis. So he was not feeling well and couldn't do much writing. But anyway, we, we got the thing done. I think we started in, um, I don't know, maybe February, March. And I think we were done by June or so we, we wanted to get it done. Uh, by uh, to make available for last Christmas because since it's wonderful life is a Christmas uh, it's not a Christmas movie but it takes place during Christmas time right. everybody thinks it's the Christmas movie and it right. comes out at Christmas we wanted to uh, make the book available during that time because from a marketing standpoint it would be really stupid not to, to, to make it have it available you know from, right. from promotion and marketing so we end up hitting our deadline we got the book done and pro- I had a copy edited and proofread and I can go through that whole process but. Um, we we got it done and it was uh, uh available i think on o- october 15th a couple couple months before christmas that's and really so- quick you did a good job because normally it could take a lot longer than that so you guys really worked hard to get it out by october yeah we had we set ourselves deadlines and i uh, and i can tell you the story of i did have a lady named martha bulin from bulin publishing services who i hired to be my book coach slash marketing consultant so she really helped me with we we would backtrack well we need to get it done by hand so by october 15th so you have to have the copy editing done by september and we just backtracked so i said wow we got to get this thing done by the 15th of june to catch right. all those deadlines so right. so reinhardt and i that was our process yeah and i just he would send it to me i'd send it back we we discuss we get together for co- coffee maybe every every uh, 10 days or and just discuss more and um so that was the process that we did and worked really well for us and so after after we got the book done of you know going back and forth finally getting it done um i did send it out to some beta readers which i highly suggest for people that are writing uh, you need fresh eyes you know because uh, you when you're writing it's like you're so engulfed in it you need right. to hear some negative negative stuff you know good good critique right so i'd send it to about i think about uh i think i reached out to 10 people 
Um, and, and, and I knew out of the 10, you kind of have to deduct. So out of the 10 people, right. uh, they all say they're going to read it, but you got to say, okay, like 30% are their hearts in the right place, but they're not going to get through it. Right. So if they get through great. So then there's another, there's six left over. So, and then out of the six, they're going to be just okay, but there's going to be about three that are really going to give you great critique. And that's exactly what happened. <laughs> and uh, three of them said, yeah, oh, I got halfway through. It was really good, but I got busy with stuff. Okay. So count. Yeah. But, right. And then the other three, the, the critique was, um, was a good, a few little things, a couple notes, but not very helpful. But the three that two of them were actually real writers and, and, and those are the ones I really wanted to come through because they've written books before right. and uh, those three and, um, and, and that was the best critique I got from all of them. And so I took that information, got together with Reinhard and we said, these are, this is good critique. This, this, they're right about this. And we really started making it even better from fresh eyeballs and, and, and advice. And then right. we did another draft. I think altogether we did about maybe two or three drafts of, of the, of the, of that book. Finally got it done since I hired Martha when, when I hired Martha, it was great because she, this is, like I said, I'm a newbie uh, writer. So a year before I started the whole even writing process, I was watching a lot of YouTube videos, <laughs> seeing the people who were doing what, reading a lot of, uh, of articles. And, um, and so I was kind of prepared for it. But then meeting Martha was great because she had her already circle of people that she works with. So when it came to a copy editor, she put me in touch with a copy editor. And uh, then a proofreader, she had a proofreader. I needed to hire a lady. So when you get it done to put it up on YouTube and to get the prices right, she has a lady that does that. And so about the cover, who did, did she recommend the cover art? The, the cover, um, the cover gorgeous. actually I had, I before it. I even met Martha, I had already been working on the cover. Okay. You know, I put up the website and the Facebook page, all that stuff, probably nine months before the book was even ah. starting to be written. Excellent. Because, you know, my background is, is in film and, right. and music and TV. Not that I'm a, a marketing guy, but you just learn right. a lot through the years. So I just knew you got to get all this stuff now and not, not get be pressured at the last minute. So I set up a lot of stuff, had all that stuff in place. Um, but with the, um, with the, uh, the, uh, the editor, what, well, what was the question? Cause I lost my uh, turn. Uh, the cover. The, I oh, love the cover. The yes. Cover thank you. Art, thank you. Yeah. Which later so on people that watch this on zoom, you'll be able to see it. It's right behind Doug. Yeah, this, is a picture it's, uh, of the cover. It's that's beautiful. The cover right there. Yeah. I yeah, love that, it. That's what I forgot. Yeah. So, so basically I had already started on the cover mm -hmm. and, and it, it, um, the cover was basically, let me see if I can point to the, where's it, where's it at? Yeah. The car, the guy and the car, mm -hmm. Because it's uh, it's backwards, we're not right. there, and there was a guy running wow. into the portal. Ah, oh, okay. And, and that was the first thing in the the palm trees. But I had a guy, uh, um, somebody had recommended a guy from the Philippines, a really good graphic artist, a lot, lot, lot less money, and I can I would highly recommend. You know, that's a great way to do it. There are people that are really good, right? And he did a good job, but he wasn't. Uh, and there was a little translation lost in translation. He spoke right. English, but. So, um, but it was, it was the first thing. And I started with that, but then there's a guy named Robbie Destocki who I've used through the years on stuff. He's always so busy, but I said, Hey Robbie, I got this, but it needs to be better. So he took it to a whole nother level mm. and we had a guy running into the thing. And then one time I, one day I woke up from a nap and I said, I thought, I just got this thing. And I thought, you know what, the, this car here, which is a 1938 Ford coupe is a very important part in the book. It is. Thought, yeah. It is. That's why I love that you put that on the cover. It's very Yeah, important. so I woke up from a nap one day and I thought, that car is a cool looking car. It's yeah. classic. And it's a big part of the thing. I need to put that on the front because, you know, he's in the car when he gets, when he hits the, yeah. the, at the start. So put that in there. And so the lady, uh, the interior design lady who did the interior of the book was another Martha person. Her name was uh, uh, Christy Day, I believe. And so I said, Hey, I need the car. I provided the car. Actually, I had to, I went online to look for a car for look for cars. Right. And I, I, I sent some to Renal. I mean, not Renal, uh, Reinhard. And we picked the blue one because blue is my favorite cover. He liked it, favorite mm -hmm. color. And um, I found a place in Florida that had classic cars. And I got in touch with the guy and I said, Hey, can I use this to put on a my book cover? And the guy was really nice and you have to deal with copyright issues and stuff. And he said, Oh, right. we already sold that car about a year ago. He's we could need to take that off the website. So I end up, and I would tell people to do this. If you find stuff, you just can't grab you stuff. No, if it's you not can't. Yours, you nope. got to get, 
yeah. either pay for it or get permission for, to get it, use it for gratis. So this guy right. was cool. And I sent an email to him saying, Hey, can you please agree to this? And it's like, hi, my uh, classic cars, da, 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 we, uh, this is our picture. We give you the rights um, for perpetuity for this and that and that uh, at no charge. And so mm -hmm. I have an email that I printed that I got it in my folder. So if anybody ever came back, I'm protected, but right. that's how that I got that car and, and it didn't have the lights, but uh, Christy said, Hey, we think of maybe putting the lights on. I said, I like that idea. Yep. And with, instead of the guy running in, we just had, that's, we had Evan, if you look at him, he's got his, he's got, you know, he's kind of dresses in the forties. So he's got his, his things rolled up and he's got some wool pants on and, and he's looking at this big thing that has, you know, before he goes, gets sucked through. So that's, that's, yeah, that's how the book cover came about. It didn't happen in one thing. It was a process of, I got one guy and it was okay. But then I brought Robbie on board and, um, he made it better with the palm trees and this and that. And then, then Chrissy and her guy put the car in there and we, we, we just, just told them what we felt the guy should look like with his hands on his hips. So it was right. a process, but it came out very good. I think in the end, so it really did. And I like the light that the fact that the lights are on in the car, that does add something to the cover. It just really does. It does. Yeah. yeah. And again, that was not my idea. That was right. Christy saying, you know, we were thinking and, and I said, you know what? I like that idea. So it's great to have. Yeah. I always like to tell people it's always gr great to surround yourself with people Yes, that are equal talented or even more talented than you, you know, yes. what I'm because they all have their um, their expertise in whatever they do. Right. And when you get a lot of those uh, that counsel, you come up with a great product usually. So I agree. And I love the yeah. fact you had two women working with you on this that are named Martha, yeah. because my mother's name was Martha. And really? Yes. And she didn't like the name, but so she had 11 children, five daughters. None of us are named Martha. She did <laughs> not like the name, but I think it's cool that you work with two Marthas on this. That's great. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when, when I think about it, I never even thought about it until you just mentioned that, but Martha, um, a, a woman, uh -huh. And she put me in touch with this one guy who was the copy editor and he was going to do it, but then the scheduling didn't work. So he put me in touch with one of his editors. Uh, her name was Andrea, another woman. Right. And then, and then the lady that wrote the press release, which was part of Martha's another woman. <laughs> and, and then, and then um, Maggie, who's the lady that does all the Amazon stuff, another woman. There you go. And, and, uh, <laughs> and I think there was even one more. So yeah. And there, and then Christy, the, 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 the the uh, right. the the lady that helped on the book cover the interior. Yeah, so I I worked with a lot of women. I didn't even realize that. It You're does, surrounded you think by fabulous women. Fabulous I women, fabulous talented women, and yep. yeah. So it, it didn't even dawn on me. But you know, there was some uh, the guy that did the audiobook was a, was a man. But you know, you just does that doesn't matter. It's like what whoever can do a great job. You don't right. need to yeah get figure out does that doesn't matter. So yeah. I think that's great that I got to work with all these talented women. Yeah, and I'll yeah. go back to them too. Uh, we're working on book two right now, so. They were just all great. So, yeah. Oh, so yeah. You'll use them again and again. Absolutely. Sure. So was how different was the audio process doing the audio book? I'm thinking that's totally different from a written book. To totally different. Yeah. So the book was done. I was going to try to have the book start doing the book in December of last year. And uh, I had already hired Reinhardt, gosh, probably around July, <laughs> July or August. I had already got teed him up and we were ready had to get the book out first. And then uh, John Schneider, who's a friend of mine, the actor, he, he, he read the book. I was hoping that he would just give me an endorsement and he did give me an endorsement for the book, but he liked it so much. He said, Hey, I'd be happy to do the audiobook." So we were working on that process to have him. And he, and he did a great job. He did me a, did me a, a did a couple chapters and mm -hmm. he was so good. He's just a seasoned veteran actor, right. but then his schedule got busy. And so it ended up working out that I didn't work with John uh, on good terms and everything, but I end up bringing another guy that that um, that Elias had in his stable. His name was jo Joshua Manning, who did an excellent job. And so I, I end up using Joshua for the narration and all the all the male vo all the male not vocals all the male voices, mm -hmm. and then for all the female um, uh, uh, characters, I got this girl uh, named Susie, well, a girl, a woman. She's probably in her thir early thirties. Her name is Susie Jackson. She's done tons of books. I was very honored and fortunate and blessed to have her say yes. Right. She did such a great job on the on the women characters, and then and then Coop, who uh, who in the in the in the book, as I told you, is is a black guy from the last you know century. I wanted to have a, a real authentic, uh, but not a southern voice. He's a very uh, he's a scientist, so he's his voice pattern. We had him talking like 
the way Edison and those guys talked, very intellectual from the, the late uh, you right. know, 1800s. So so right. that Coop was a guy, his name was uh, Fintress Moore. He was one of uh, Ryan, uh, one of um, uh, Elias's at E-Audio Productions in, in the stable. And when I told him what I wanted, because I think I got the guy. So I heard him and he read some of the copy and I said, yeah, that's the guy. So, so I have three different voices in the, in the, in the book, mm -hmm. uh, on the audio book. And some people just use one voice, which is totally fine. Right. Can do all their men can do women voices. Women can do men voices. But in my case, I thought, I want to just go and go all out. So I got, uh, you know, uh, a male, you know, one to do the male, female, and then then the coupe voice. And it turned out, you, you got a chance to hear some of it. So you see, I did. Yeah. Really, really good job. Yeah. The performances I thought were really well done. Excellent. So yep. that process, yeah, I, I got to find a company to do it first. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of companies out there. Um, I was fortunate enough to, to meet Elias through. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, Jeff Levin, who's a composer, I talked to him about maybe doing, hiring his studio to do it. And he said, well, I could do it, but I don't really do that much. But he said, you should talk to my friend, John, who I just talked to. He's putting out a book and he was very happy with the company that put out his audio book. Mm -hmm. So I called, got John's number and he gave me Elias's number, E-Audio Productions. I think they're in Virginia. And so uh, I started working with Elias right off the bat and, 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 and so the process took us a lot longer than we planned, but I was not under a deadline like I was for the book. Right. The audio book, uh, you know, they, they say to put the audio book maybe three months after the book comes out. So you give it a chance for the book to sell, get some more fan base. And then um, and then the audio book comes out. And it's another another extension of of the book. You know, you got the printed version, you got the ebook, right. and then the audio book comes out. So we were thinking about having it done maybe in, in March or April. And then um uh, uh, Jonathan, uh, Joshua got COVID that set us back a little and I was not, and then we just went back and forth. It took a lot longer than we planned, but I told Elias and then we kept tweaking, making things better. He had to edit this and that do some retakes. And so it, it took, we, we finally got it done in, in September actually, oh, a lot wow. longer. but, but I was not under any pressure to get it done. And, and Elias kept one, he was saying, Doug, this is one of the best audiobooks I've ever done. He said, so I'm spending a lot of extra time in the, uh, in the editing and the EQ and this and that. And I said, Elias, I said, take the time you need. I said, I'm not really in a hurry. I just want to get it done so we can have at least done for Christmas this year. Right. And so, right. So we 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 got it done, but it was a process. But it, 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 the way it's different is you have to deal with, you know, you have to deal with voice actors, you know. So right. you and then you have to hear what they say, and there's a lot of mispronunciations. Right. Um, uh, jo Joshua actually lives in Edinburgh, Scotland. Oh. He's actually, he's actually a British guy. His uh. His his father is, I believe, English, and his mother is from New York, but he was raised pretty much over in Europe. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's got this great, and he's a stage actor, and he's done really well. He's done a lot of audiobooks. When I heard his voice, I was listening on 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 the roster. You have to, you know, basically audition people. Uh, uh, when I was on Elias's roster, I think he's got a couple hundred, you know, male and female. So I was going through listening to their things. They're like, uh, okay, 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 no, 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 no. And I wasn't really finding anybody on the male side. And then I listened to a sample of something, just a sample. And I heard, and I heard Josh's voice. Said, oh, that's it. It was kind of like Mike Rowe. You know, that guy, Mike Rowe for dirty jobs. Right. But I got right. the deep voice. Right. <laughs> so I heard Joshua. I said, Oh, that's the guy he could do uh -huh. it. So I got in touch with Elisa. So that's the guy. So brought him on. And then on the female side, I didn't find anything till I went to, uh, I just thought, uh, I was looking at different rosters w with Elias. You can use his people, but you don't have to use his people. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. You can go out and find. So I wasn't really finding anybody on his roster on the female side. They were good, but they weren't what I was looking for. And I went to some other rosters, mm -hmm. wasn't finding it. So I just went to Google and, you know, Google's <laughs> an amazing thing. It is. Wow. I, just put, I put um, top female book narrators and I was going through and I found this one girl. She was actually an, a book narrator herself. And uh -huh. it was her top five list of her favorite narrators. Oh. And so I went through the list and out of five, four of them were males and there was one woman. And I think she was number three on there. So number five. And so when she got to number the, uh, the third one, it was, she said, oh, and basically it was something like this. And, and my number three is Susie Jackson. Oh my gosh, Susie Jackson. She is so good as a narrator myself. I love her so much because the way she, that she tells the story, the way that she does the characters, the inflections of her voice, her passion. And I'm like, I'm already sold just by hearing her describe Susie. Right. And so I thought, well, instead of going to listen to Susie do other people's books, I want to just see who Susie is. So I went on right. and I found some videos of Susie 
uh, one of them, she was talking about a book that she had done, but she wasn't doing any character. She was being herself. And it was basically saying, hi, it's Susie Jackson. I just want, you know, I just finished my book, uh, Three Little Bears Go to you know, go to LA or whatever it was, you know, just some stupid title, but whatever the right. title was. And she goes, and I, when I come home after a tough day and I go and I talk to my two little kids in bed and I, I read it to them and they love it. And so as I'm hearing her, I'm like, oh, wow, this girl could be my main character, Dorothy, right? Uh, who's 23, but she just had a tone in her voice and her personality. And so I, I reached out to, to Susie. She didn't know me from Adam. And I just <laughs> said, Hey, this is what it's about. The book would love, I heard you. And she got back to me and said she'd do it. And she's done so many books. So like I said, I'm sure she's busy, but maybe wow. she connected with the material. I don't know, but she did an amazing job. And um, I had to work out a separate deal for her because she wasn't in um, Elias's, you know, I had, did a deal with him, like an overall deal. Right. With, Included the voice of actors and stuff, but with or the narrators, but she was separate. So I worked out a separate deal with her and her agent, and that worked out fine. Mm -hmm. So it's just the process. You have to, um, you have to be a casting director yourself. You just, as you're an author, great. But right. if you're going to make an audiobook, you have to take off the a writer cap and put on your producer cap right. and your casting cap. You got to listen, and you you know your characters better than anybody. So you'll know what's not going to work. I even had um, some of the, I gave some copy of a couple pages to Elias, mm -hmm. uh, to the women, so I could actually hear them do the dialogue of Dorothy. And they were good. It was, they weren't bad, don't get me wrong, but it just, I, wasn't it wasn't right. Yeah, wasn't it wasn't right. right. And, and yeah. you know when it's not right, but when it's right, right you know. And, right. and that's when I heard Susie's regular voice. And then after I heard her regular voice, I went back and heard some of her stuff. And I said, wow, this girl is a real pro. So that's how I, how I found her. So you have to do a little research. You just can't sit right. there. Uh, on your hands and just think it's all going to come to me. No, it's the right. opposite. You have to be proactive in every aspect. You got to find the place, the guy that's going to produce it. Um, you got to find uh, the the narrator or narrators or characters. Right. Um, you have to be prepared to listen to the stuff. You, I had to go through that book three, I think two or three times word for word as I'm hearing their dialogues. Oh no, that he said, uh, Mar, he said, Mar, Mar, Marbles instead of Marbles, you know, <laughs> right. Little things. But once it's recorded, yeah, it's done. So you have to make sure. So they have to do a lot of pickups and it's just a lot of back and forth. And um, but the, the the end, the end thing is very rewarding when you get it done. So it is. And so I think your message is trust yourself as yes. the author of the book to know which voice is going to be the best one. Don't try and have someone else do that for you because it might not come out as good. You know what's in your head as yes. far as these characters are. So you're the best one to pick the voices. That's hundred percent right. Yeah. You yeah. have to kind of go with your instincts, your gut, mm -hmm. and you'll know the ones that don't work, but when you hear the ones that do it, so like it, it's a, it, it just fits. It's a good right. fit. So you have to right. do the research. You have to listen to a lot of people, you a lot do. of, a lot of, a lot of uh, samples and stuff. It's a lot of work, and, um, but when you do it, it comes out right in the end. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and I, and I'm planning on doing an audiobook for number two. So I will go back to the same people if they're available. I would love to keep them, you know, right. which is great for them. They they get paid and it's more work and and, I, and okay. I'm happy with their their performance. So, but yeah, it's it's a very, you got to be proactive in every aspect of right. the process. So this is going to be a series. Do you have a set number in your head or is it like it could go on for a well, while? Uh, that's a good question because um, yeah, it is going to be a series and um, I don't have a set number. No, I know. Okay. <laughs> Excuse me. We, um we have already, we're working on book two right now and we already know what book three is going to be about. We set it up for that. Okay. We're not the type, uh, cause we're, Reinhardt and I are both kind of busy with other things in life. You know, books is not the only thing that we do. This is just right. one aspect. Only a part, so right. we, we, some people write four books a year. I don't even know how that, I can't even think of that. So yeah. we're, we're more like uh, one book every, you know, year and a half or two years, maybe sooner, <laughs> but that's kind of, that works for our schedule. Right. Um, but, the series aspect, yeah, I, I don't know how many. Uh, uh, my from what I my research is, when you're doing a series, unless you have a big traditional pub or publisher behind you, you know, um, Harper Collins, where they're paying for all the marketing and promo, <clears throat> your 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 success is a lot better because you're getting so much exposure. When you're a self publisher or an independent publisher, which is kind of where I fall into, since I brought Martha and her professional team, mm -hmm. um, you know, I had some money in marketing, a little more exposure, sold some books, did okay. But my from my research with the series, they say you got to get about three books out. Tell you, but like on the fourth book is when you start seeing some of your returns financially, and yes. you've had a good three, four 
five years of a fan base. Um, so, right. so, so I already know that, you know, uh, I need to get one. I got one done. I'm working on two, uh, preferably for me, I'd like to get three done because I think, uh, since my, uh, series is called the Hollywood time travel series. I do think it's a good fit for Hollywood yes. for one of the streaming studios, you know, Hulu, Netflix, Apple TV, they're looking for content and it deals with movies and movie stars and celebrities of times past and maybe in the future. So right. it's, there's a, a fit there. But I don't I think it would be unwise for me to try to go do a deal now with one book. Mm -hmm. I think I could say, well, here's the concept. There's three are done and we could do this for 10, 10, 10 books or it could go for longer. But um, these days, you know, a, a book can be a, a series. The first book could actually be a limited series uh, um, like the Stephen King book that he did. Uh, I think it came out a, two, I don't know, a few years ago, but they made uh, I think it was uh, Hulu made a, a series out of just what it was a book. It was called right. Eleven. Uh, was uh, it was about John F. Kennedy, the day that Kennedy, 11, 22, 62, when, when Kennedy was shot. Right. Uh, it was all about that. And, and so it was a, his one one-off book, and they made it into, I think, six episodes. Right. Six one-hour episodes. So I'm kind of thinking in, in my mind that if I was uh, fortunate enough to get uh, uh, one of the streaming studios on board to to buy the series or to make it into, uh, so book one, which is behind me, could be, it's a, it's a, I think it's 350 pages. So that could be maybe a, a six to five to seven episodes. Right. And then book two. So that's what I'm hoping, but I don't want to do that now. I think I got to get a few books done before yeah, I go. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. Yeah. And all of your books are going to connect back to movies. Are they going to be all older movies or some of them might be more modern? Yes, we could do that. Um, well, you're going back in time. So I'm thinking. Yeah, back, back book two goes, uh, you know, it goes back in time again. And rather than a movie, it's dealing with a certain movie star. Ah. And there's a lot of other things happening. It's it's a pretty it's 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 going to be good. And then the, the third book is we're going into the future, into the fifties. Oh, okay. A very 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 <laughs> famous movie, and yeah. So so there this really endless of the movies we could pick, but we have to just find the right ones that make sense. But yeah, it could right. go for a while. Just it, you know, or could or could end up not uh, losing its losing its uh, mojo. And after three books, we're done. But I hope that's not the case. You know, right. Right. Well, sounds good. And I think it's going to do very well. I do think it's going to be picked up eventually with some kind of a streaming. I can see that because people love time travel. And yeah. I'll tell you, boomers love old Hollywood. We really do. Yes. We love, you know, the the actors and actresses and their their costumes that they yeah. wore. We just love all of that. So and yeah. the time travel pulls it in where the younger people are going to love it. So you're going to get boomers, exactly everybody. Any generation can love this. It, it's uh, time travel and historical fiction. And yes. when, pe when people ask me how to describe the book, book one, I always say um, Back to the Future meets uh, Midnight in Paris, which was a Woody <laughs> Allen film on the set of It's a Wonderful Life. They go, oh, oh, I got it. That sounds cool. <laughs> And um, I get, I don't know if I mentioned it yet, but if people are interested in finding out about the book, uh, the website is hollywoodtimetravel.com. Right. And that's pretty much the best place it has, uh, you know, where you can buy the the print book on Amazon or the ebook. Uh, and there's also a thing that says buy the audiobook, and there's a landing page of different places to buy the audiobook. So yeah, hollywoodtimetravel.com has everything on there, the pictures, the synopsis, uh, what's happens in book one. I just finished an audiobook trailer that's up on there. And you can kind of find out, um, you know, everything you need to know about it on that on that website. And I think you have a little surprise gift when people go on the website too, right? They can go ahead. Yeah, and tell us yeah, why. that's that's true. Um, we put uh, through my research. I found that this is a good thing to do. So if people, rather than buying the book first, if they wanted to get a little taste of it, um, I put a a thing up there where you can uh, download the first three chapters of the book for free. Uh, you just have to put your email address, so it'll it'll be good for me to. Uh, you know, keep on as I build my email list, but happy to give it to people uh, to get a little, you know, a little sample if they like it. Um, and then there's also, you know, uh, there is a sample of the audio book, which is only five minutes long, but little mm -hmm. taste. But but yeah, so you can get the first three chapters for free. Just download it, you know. From the, That's from great. The and believe me, once you get the first three chapters, you're going to want to read the yeah. whole thing. So you're going to want the book or the audio book or the ebook. You're going to want to want to get one of those because it's a really fun, interesting book. And you know what? We all need ways to de-stress today. And yeah. 
and unwind because it's such a crazy world that we're living in. Yeah. It's the perfect way because it's time travel. It's old Hollywood. It's a really fun way to de-stress and unwind. So I think yeah. and it's going to make a perfect Christmas gift. So those yeah, of you right. who are still looking for gifts for people, this can be given to anybody, young, old, anyone. So that's it, right. It's yeah. Definitely worthwhile. So, uh, and I would um, say if, if anybody's a fan of it's wonderful life, the movie, I yeah. think they'll really connect to the book because it really does. It's an homage to that movie yes. and to Frank Capra and Donna Reed and Jimmy Stewart. And so uh, you get to kind of be not a fly on the wall. You get to kind of see what it was like through Evan's eyes being there working on the movie and, and it's all portrayed in a, in a good way. So. Right. I, I love it. I love it all. It's great. Um, so my audience, you can go to kickassboomers.com, go to the show notes where the website will be clickable, or it's easy to remember too, hollywoodtimetravel.com. That's the website. All of the information is there. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today and giving us the background. I love hearing the background of how you went about pulling this all together. And, yeah. and we have so many authors that listen. So this is really a great podcast for the Boomer Nation. And this is our, I have an international audience. So people are listening all over the world. So that's great. Yeah. Wow. It's really great. So yep. 26 different countries and I've interviewed people from different countries. So there's a big international audience as well. So they're going to want to reach out and buy it as well. So sure. Yeah. It's a, it's yeah. a technology day. It's just a Go on there and just click. Yeah, it's amazing. Absolutely. I can interview anyone anywhere. When I first told my sister I was going to start a podcast, she said, well, how are you going to, you're going to go interview all these people in person? I go, no, oh. I'm going to be on Zoom. Zoom is so easy. So one of my initial ones was a man from, um, oh God, now it went right out of my head from a country way across the world. Um, and I've been interviewed a man in Russia and wow. a woman in Japan. And he was Thailand. He was one of my first one, Thailand. Wow. Interviewed him in Thailand. So it's just so exciting to talk to all these very, very interesting people. And, you know, they become listeners. And uh, and then there are people that live in Thailand that know them are starting to listen. So that's how you build your international audience, which is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, you just have and you just have to do it, like writing a book or starting a podcast. Just do it, right? Get off, get off our butts, yeah. Do it and, and do and it. Look at this. You're talking. You're you're talking to people in different countries and a lot of listeners and yeah, that's amazing. So, so congratulations, and you get to do it just from uh, looks like you're in a room in your house. You don't a have room to leave. in my house. The, the guest room in my amazing. house. The yeah, guest room is the quietest room. That's why I'm up here in this room. I have an yeah. office, but it's too open to the rest of the house. So I have to do my podcast. And the but you can do it. At, you find there are people that go into their walk-in closets and do their podcast. It's yes. amazing where people find to do their podcast. They yeah, just need yeah. a quiet place. And there you go. Quiet but, place. Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been a pleasure to talk to you again. And we'll have to do it again when your next book comes out. We'll do all, this all over again. I'll keep you posted when that happens. Thank you so much Thank for having you. me on again. Appreciate You're welcome. It. Thank you right, so much. Bye -bye. I've enjoyed it. Thanks. Me too. We appreciate you joining us for this episode of Kick-Ass Boomers. For more information on today's guest, along with the show notes and other inspiring resources, buzz on over to kickassboomers.com. And don't forget to join our Kick-Ass community on Facebook or LinkedIn to continue the conversation. Be bold, not old.